I don't know about you, but I could watch that a hundred times, and I feel the same way every time. That's 6.2 miles they ran, and you see that guy sprinting at the end? Of course, he has USA across, that's the Olympics, and so I'm always cheering for the U.S., right? USA, you know, but there's something about a race like that, and it's, and it's not just where it is in, you know, in the world, it's what happens at the finish line. I want you to run your best race. And we're gonna talk about that through this series because there's a lot that the Bible parallels with regard to running your race. Now, if you don't know this about me, you're gonna know about it when we're done with this series that I'm a runner. Now, I'm not a runner like that. This is me. Somebody said, that is not you. (laughs) I said, I will make you remember me, okay? This is me. 20 years ago, and hundreds uh, of pounds lighter, 168-pound Monty right there. There's more me now, way more than me. What happened to me was about 25 years ago, I decided that I was going to take up running. Our daughters were younger. I've spent a lot of time at the gym, on the golf course, and I was away from my family, and my job was such that I was gone a lot in the evenings anyway, and so I told Ann that I was gonna start running. Because <laughs> she said, sure you are, good luck with that. And uh, the truth is, though, I realized that it was an easy way to exercise, a flexible way to exercise, and a great way to burn off stress. And I didn't realize, though, how much I would love it. I really found something about it. Now, it wasn't that I was fast like the bumper video that you saw. But I loved it. And one of the things that I learned over the course of the 25 years since I started running was there's so many parallels that you find in running that parallel with life. And I've been thinking about this series for a long time. You see, I started thinking that I was genius about it, but the truth is the Bible is way ahead of me. In fact, uh, the Bible has been explaining how the Christian life is like running a race for centuries and centuries. This series, as Micah said, is titled Run Your Best Race. And in this study, what we're going to look at are these different verses where the Bible uses the metaphor of running to teach us how to live the Christian life to the best of our ability. And what we will see is that this race is the Christian life. You don't have to run in order to do what we're gonna talk about. We're just gonna use this imagery, this metaphor, to help us understand it a little bit better. This race, as Micah mentioned, is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And we're called to stay on course and remain faithful all the way to the finish line because something amazing happens at the finish line. Paul used this imagery near the end of his own life. Listen to what he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul is so close to breaking the tape at the finish line. 
A marathon is a strenuous test of fitness and endurance and mental toughness. And the race of the Christian life is also a serious test of our fitness and endurance and mental toughness. It requires faith to run this race, stamina, commitment, and discipline if we want to run it and run it faithfully. There are several references that we find in the Bible where running a race is used, and most of the time, it's the Apostle Paul who's using the metaphor of running. In fact, I started thinking about this. If the Apostle Paul lived today right here in central Kentucky, I would bet that he would be a Kentucky Wildcat fan. Now, here's why I say that. Because he's a wise man, okay? <laughs> the reason I say that is because he frequently writes about athletics. And as a result, it tells us that Paul probably had an interest in the games. He had an interest in athletes. When I first began in ministry... I taught a high school Sunday school class, and I was learning to teach. They were very gracious. Those kids were really gracious. So it was great encouragement to me one day when one of the moms of one of the high school guys in my class came up to me and said, my son loves your class. And I was like, just beaming with pride as I thanked her. And then I started thinking, I wonder how much of the word of God he's been soaking up, you know, for being in my class. And then the mom said this, he loves your class because he said you always have sports illustrations. And I was like, so it's not the depth of my teaching, it's that I'm connecting with him. But I'm, I'm, in, I'm in good company because the Apostle Paul is using the same metaphors. So... Let's take a look at one of these examples. It's found in Hebrews, the 12th chapter. We're going to start with verse 1 through 3. If you have a Bible or you want to follow along on your smartphone, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. This is what we think it's the Apostle Paul. We're not positive who wrote this, but we're going to give him credit for it. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In this text, the Apostle Paul is painting this picture of races that maybe he even saw, certainly he heard about, races that would take place in the arena during his day. And he tells about runners preparing for the race and then attempting to run their very best race. A key reason that Paul wrote this letter, or we call it the book of Hebrews, is because some of the Jewish believers were getting weary from running their race. Persecution, pressures from their Jewish counterparts, their brethren, their families, was causing them to consider giving up their faith in Jesus. Paul wrote to encourage them to keep running, keep moving forward in the Christian life, just like a runner who presses forward to the finish line. He wrote to encourage them don't stop. 
So let's take a look at this text, a little, let's mine a little bit out of it. He says in verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... This cloud of witnesses refers to the uh, hall of famers of the faith that we, re- that we read in chapter 11, the previous chapter. This is known as the hall of fame of faith. And we, many people read this with the idea that these spiritual hall of famers are gathering together from their heavenly vantage point to cheer on those of us Christians who are still running the race for Jesus. But the text doesn't suggest that. It doesn't suggest that these saints are watching you and I run the race, like people who are seated in a stadium cheering their team on. You see, the word that's used there, witnesses, doesn't mean spectators. Actually, our English word martyr comes from this Greek word that's translated witnesses. These people aren't witnessing what we are doing. Rather, they are bearing witness of what God can do as they see us facing opposition. They're testifying to us to trust God because God is faithful. And their lives are testimony that God can see you through no matter what you face. The Bible has numerous examples of people of God who faced overwhelming odds while running their race. And yet God called them, and yet they experienced tremendous struggles. And they may have been scratching their heads going, where is God? And yet they saw God provide what they needed at just the right time. Hebrews 11 is full of those people. One of of my favorites is Gideon. If you don't know Gideon, you can go back to read Judges, the sixth chapter. His story's there. But let me give you this highlight reel. Gideon, when we first meet him, is hiding in a wine press. And an angel of the Lord shows up and says this to him. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, what's funny about that is when you're hiding in a wine press from the enemy who's, who's ready to, to completely annihilate your people, you're not exactly a mighty warrior, You know, you don't have blue face on ready to charge against the infidels. What the angel was talking about wasn't what Gideon was personally feeling about. He didn't see himself as a mighty warrior either. But he's intrigued by this, and so not believing that what he's being called to to save Israel, he asks God for a sign, like, God, if this is you, I need a sign. And so God is patient with Gideon, and he's faithful, and he provides the sign. And then the rest of the narrative of Gideon's biblical account demonstrates this guy truly was a mighty warrior, brave and righteous. He took an army of 300 and defeated Israel's enemy, the Midianites, thousands and thousands of warriors. Once a frightened warrior hiding in a wine press, God called Gideon and he overcame his fear and his lack of faith to be a faithful commander over God's army. You see, when God shows up, Gideon would testify he's a game changer. 
You might be facing a challenge in your life right now. You're thinking, it's tough for me to be a Christian. Don't throw in the towel. Gideon had testified to you. He would bear witness to you. God will show up, and he'll see you through it. That's why Paul wrote Romans 15, verse 4. He said this, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. That's why the Old Testament is there. It reminds us that we can have hope. God's at work. Paul's point in Romans 15 is that if you're struggling, look at how these heroes of the faith ran their race. Look at how God showed up. Get to know these godly men and women of the Old Testament who ran the race and then they finished it. And if you're having family problems, read about Joseph. There's a guy that had all kinds of problems with his family. Or if you're, if you're struggling because you think your job is too big for you, study the life of Moses. He had a big job. Or maybe you're tempted to retaliate against an enemy. See how David handled that. Well, let's go on a little further in, in our text. Verse uh, one continues, it says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The emphasis here is on what we need to do before we run our race. The picture that Paul is painting is of runners, moments before they step onto the track and start their race. But you know, it's not just that moment. For a lot of runners, the preparation for their race happens months, maybe even a year or more before race day. Training is what it's called. Training is preparing so when race day comes, you can run your best race. It's stopping bad habits and starting good habits to improve as a runner. When I decided to run my very first marathon, a guy by the name of David Mitchell, he was the guy that I trained with. David had run eight or 10 marathons at that point in his life, and he knew what it took to run a 26.2-mile race. And from the very beginning, he preached a simple sermon every time we trained. He said, you can't cheat the trainee. I heard it once. I heard it a thousand times. Even the greatest runners in the world utilize special coaches, and they join up for elite training to prepare for the next big race. They use training regimens specifically focused to build stamina and physical and mental discipline so they can be more competitive. In Paul's day, in the first century, as well as some runners today, they would wear weights in order to help prepare them for their race. Some runners today wear, wear weighted, weighted vests like this one on the screen. The reason they wear these is to build strength and stamina. Of course, no runner would actually wear this in a competition because excess weight would just tax the endurance and slow them down. But it's a great way of building strength and stamina. I ran my first marathon in 2001, and I weighed 185 pounds, still much less than this body you see right here. And I started thinking, I wonder if I lost a few pounds, if I could run faster in the next race. And so about halfway into the training, I started to diet. 
and I lost 17 pounds on race day. I weighed 168 pounds. That was that skinny picture you saw earlier. And you know what was amazing? I felt great. I mean, think about holding 17 extra pounds and just not carrying that for the entire 26.2 mile race. That was the equivalence for me. Shedding that extra weight helped me to run so much faster. I wish I could tell you the next marathon I lost even more weight. No, but I gained weight. I want to think it was muscle, but I'm not sure. Let me ask you this question. What are the weights that are keeping you from running your best race? Shedding 17 pounds made, made it easier for me to run even better. What about you? What about me? What are, the, what are the weights that we carry around that keep us from running the best race? Paul talks about two things that he thinks are really important if you want to run this race. Two things to throw off. The first one is this. Throw off the things that hinder you running your best race. Just get rid of them. Throw them off. What are those things in your life? It might be a relationship. That when you're with that person, there's a high probability that you're going to sin. Or maybe it's another relationship that they are, you're so obsessed with that person that they've become the most important thing in your entire life. They just consume you. Or maybe it's your job. Your work, it just, it, it, it's 24-7. It's all you do. You're with your family, but you're not present because it's your job that consumes you. Or maybe it's a passion. Maybe it's a sports team. Everywhere they go, you follow them. Or maybe it's online gaming. You're, you're trying to be the best in the world. Or it's a hobby. Or maybe you obsess over cleaning your house. I know a lady like that. Or maybe it's social media. There's a hundred things. And it's not that something has to be bad. But if we allow it to consume our focus, then it hinders us from running our best race, from living this life to the fullest to accomplish the call that God has put on our lives. So with the encouragement of those who've gone before us, those in chapter 11 of Hebrews Let's rid ourselves of thoughts and attitudes and behaviors and habits that will impede our progress. And then the second thing Paul tells us, he says, throw off the sin that so easily entangles us. Now the picture here is of running in clothing that easily gets wrapped around our legs and it trips us or it, it entangles us. And you may find it a little disappointing that the Apostle Paul doesn't mention any specific sins here, right? You know, when you come in here and you're with your spouse and the the minister says something and they start preaching and then they mention a specific sin and your spouse hits you in the the ribs, right? And you're like, knock it off, you know? And they're like, because the whole section now knows you have a problem with that, right? And we kind of like that. We like to be able to go, yeah, that's not me, but it's right there, you know? But I think Paul doesn't mention that because there's not one sin that seems to encompass all of us, right? It's not one sin. In fact, it's possible that one sin will entangle you, but it won't entangle me or vice versa. 
So what he does is he's probably referring to all sins here and the idea that one sin might entangle you, but it's more likely as a layering of sin. There's two sins or three sins that the combination just keeps you from being able to run. It kind of tangles you up. In 2002, I ran the Des Moines Marathon. Being with... uh, being a kid from Iowa, it was a big deal for me to get to go back there and to participate in a race. And my mom and dad and my sisters came out to support me. That was great. But when the race started, it was really chilly. It was a fall morning, but it was really chilly. And so uh, there was a point as the, the race took off that the temperatures went up. And, and uh, there was a place during the course that people were Uh, just taking their clothing off that they had been wearing because they were cold at the start of the race, and they were just discarding it along the side of the road. And when I came to that part of the, uh, (coughs) excuse me, that part of the course, there was just like sweatshirts and long sleeve t-shirts and all kinds of things just littering the, the pavement. I mean, it was amazing. It was like, this is the place to throw your clothes, right? And as I was coming up, I, that's where my parents were and my sisters, and they start cheering me on, but I notice my mom is picking up clothing like she's at a yard sale. Oh, this is great, you know? And, and I, <laughs> I see that, and I'm like, oh, no, you know? It's like, put the clothes down, Mom! You know, it was kind of embarrassing. Paul's coaching here is one he's saying, hey, he, these are the things to throw off. These people, they, the reason they got rid of it was... This was now something they needed at the beginning, but now it's an encumbrance for them. It was just a burden for them to run well, so they got rid of it. That's what Paul's talking about here. Throw off sin that tangles us up and keeps us from running our best race. We'll never be our most effective at accomplishing God's purposes in our lives if we refuse to throw off sin that's in our lives. But once the runner is thrown off all that hinders him and the sin that easily entangles him, then Paul, the coach, says to his readers, here are the things that you need to put on in order to run your best race. Now, today's runner needs to put on good shoes. That's the most important thing, good shoes. And light, loose-fitting clothing, breathable clothing, and, and a good watch, watch with GPS so you can track if you're training, and a, and a phone if you don't have a good watch, a phone with a good running app on it. Those are just some of the things that a good runner needs today. But as a Christian who wants to run your best race, to live the Christian life to the fullest, you need to prepare, you need to train well by putting on some important things as well. And Paul gives us two things to put on. The first is this. He says, run with perseverance. That's an attitude. That's a mindset. He says this in in verse one. At the very end of verse one, he says, and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Running is challenging. If you're running a race, it's challenging. I don't care if it's a Midsummer Night's Run. I don't care if it's it's the Boston Marathon. It's gonna be challenging. And some people will get exhausted during the course of that race. I went to the Bluegrass 10,000 this July 4th, and I stood down there, and I I felt for the people at the end who were walking because some of them intended to run the whole thing, but they were gassed, and it was hot, and it was humid. I mean, it was taking its toll 
on people. Some people actually will drop out of races, especially in marathons. If they don't reach a certain place by a certain time, they're going to be taken off the course. And yet there are others who are going to endure the challenge to the very end, and they're going to finish the race. And that's what I hope all of us will do. The Greek word translated perseverance means to bear up under. No matter what the pressure is, no matter what the struggle is, to be able to bear up under it. Perseverance is having the persistence to keep doing something despite the difficulty of it. There's an American proverb that says, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. You know it, right? That's just about perseverance. To run with perseverance means to run while enduring the challenges that you face. And you're going to face challenges in this life. Paul says, put on perseverance. The second thing, the other thing he says, is also an attitude. He says, run like Jesus. Run like Jesus. Look at what verses 2 and 3 say of the text. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. He's the focus. If we're going to run this race and run it well, he's going to be the focus. The pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And Paul says, consider him. Again, put your focus on Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Paul's saying no one ran this race that we're talking about today better than Jesus did. He's the best, so run like Jesus. He endured far more than any of the heroes of the faith endured in Hebrews 11. So he is the perfect example for us to pattern our running style after. He endured the cross, Paul said, which involves shame, suffering, opposition from sinners, and even temporary rejection from his heavenly Father. On the cross, he suffered for all the sins of the entire world. He endured and finished the work that God gave him to do. Those early readers of the book of Hebrews had suffered persecution, but they hadn't yet been martyred. And yet Jesus, he paid for our sin, which required that he shed his own blood. He died on that cross. Jesus endured so much, so Paul urges us to focus on him. And then he says this, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The end of verse three. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Focus on him so you don't quit. So keep your focus on Jesus. The runner's mindset is crucial into if you're gonna run any race and you want to run your best race, the focus that a runner has will be a tremendous influence on the results that the runner accomplishes. People who are used to having discomfort in their lives oftentimes make good runners because running is largely about how one can endure difficult things. That's why running is such a great parallel for the Christian life because it's not all smooth running. There are going to be days when it's really going to be difficult. The Christian life can be tough, even brutal at times. And Paul emphasized to focus on the example set by Jesus because he showed us how to run and run with perseverance. Paul wrote, remember, to the followers of Jesus who were discouraged. They're ready to quit running the race. Now Paul's writing this, encouraging them to hang in there. Don't give up. 
keep going. He coached them to prepare well for the race and then to run their best race. And I wonder, who is the person who you've given permission to speak into your life, to coach you, to encourage you, to disciple you, to keep running this race? As I mentioned, David Mitchell was the guy who, trained, who I trained with, and he's the person I look to to learn how to run a marathon. And he would often say, as I said, you can't cheat the training. And that just means you gotta actually do the training. And there were a lot of days when I didn't want to do the training. Stupid training. The way you train, though, impacts how you're gonna run the race. And when, as we close, I wanna give you very quickly four exercises that I think are game changers when it comes to running this race and running it well. The first is this, read the Bible. Yeah, if you're surprised that I start with this, then welcome to Northeast. <laughs> I'm a champion for this. I think this is the one thing you can do as an exercise that will help you run your best race. It will impact how you live your life for the Lord. Learn all you can about Jesus and the people who ran this race well in Scripture. I'd encourage you to go to NCCLEX dot org slash Bible, and you can join our Bible reading plans. There's two of them, F260 or the, uh, the uh, yeah, the Bible recap. Sorry, I'm doing F260, sorry. But uh, their Bible recap, either one, you could join right now, okay? I know you go, well, didn't this start in January? Yeah, it did, but who cares? Start now. I would rather you start now than wait till the next one. That's, that's, that's the end of the year, all right? Start now. Second exercise, read the Bible. Second exercise, pray. I want you to understand that you have access to the greatest life trainer in the entire history of the universe. The Lord has said, you can, you can call on me anytime, and that's what prayer is. So ask God, spend time with him, seek him for help and wisdom and guidance and strength for running this race. There are going to be more times, and you will be able to count when you want to quit this race. But he'll give you the strength if you just ask him. Don't quit. Pray. Ask God for what you need to keep running. And remember, God is always faithful, and he is always running alongside you. Exercise number three run with others. Run with others. I want you to think about this for a second. There are gonna be times when life is hard. We're gonna talk about that in a future message. Who in your life can you count on to help you to keep running? Who's that person that saddles up next to you and runs alongside you and says, don't stop, you're making great time? We need each other. If you don't have a biblical community that you're a part of where somebody there knows your name, and if you're not there, they miss you. I mean, it's easy to come into a sizable group like this, and you can sneak in and you can sneak out. And it's possible no one knew you were here or no one knew when you weren't here. But a place where you're known, a biblical community where you're known, a life group, a Bible class, a ministry team, a D group, if you're not in one of those, check out the website or the app and start finding a group. We're going to talk about that more in the future Exercise number four, and then we'll close. Serve someone in need. 
Challenge yourself to go a little further in the area of service than you did last year. Push your mileage out a little bit. It's like, hey, I ran a 10K last year, now I'm gonna run a half marathon. 6.2, we're going to 13.1. Just stretch it out a little bit. Can't cheat the training, but one of the ways you can build stamina in this race of life, this Christian race of life, is by serving others. Actually running, especially running marathons, is one of the most egotistical things you can do. Have you ever been around somebody that's got a 26.2 sticker on their car? They go, hey, I saw you run a marathon. Oh, yeah, I've run 10. Yeah, how about you? Yeah, I've run 11. I haven't, but I always lie because I want them to feel like I'm better than them. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I use a much bigger number than that. This race, though, isn't about me or you. In fact, this race has very little room for self-centeredness. In this race that Paul is talking about, it's about others and them knowing the kingdom of God. This race is actually about being the best example of Jesus that you can be, and serving is a great way to do that. I'll say this, next Sunday, we love the 40509 block party. It's a great way to do that. Show up, link arms with a bunch of other volunteers, and, and we're gonna love this neighborhood all around us. You can sign up, do that, okay? Jesus said this in the parable of the sheep and goats, Matthew 25. He said, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I want you to make a connection here, okay? Serving is a great way to help others, just like Jesus did. It's kind of like running uphill. It's going to cost you something. There's going to be some energy that you're going to expend, but it's worth it because, did you catch what Jesus said? When you serve them, you are blessing Jesus. Hallelujah for that. All right, let me close. I started to get into running to get exercise, but I got a lot more. I got my first pair of real running shoes a few months later at Christmas, and then I ran my first race at the Midsummer Night's Run the following summer, and I was bitten. As my friend, I told you, my friend David Mitchell invited me to run a marathon with him in the fall of 2001. I never believed for a million years that I could do that. But he looked me in the eyes and he said, if you train for it, you can run 26.2 miles, but you got to train for it. And after talking about it and thinking about it, I agreed to start training. And the secret to being able to run a marathon was deciding months in advance that I'm going to pick a training plan, I'm going to follow it, I'm going to stick with it. And I did. And I hope if you want to run this race, that you'll stick with that simple little training plan that I gave you. So you remember, you can't cheat the training. I don't care what race we're talking about. But you certainly can't cheat the training here. You can't just show up and think, oh, I'm just going to be a great Christian and not ever spend time with the Lord. Let him mold you and shape you. On October 21st, 2001, I ran the Louisville Marathon. And when I finished, I crossed the finish line and they put this little tiny medal around my neck. This thing should have been like a rapper medal, you know, like a big old ginormous clock or something like that. But it was this little rinky-dink 
metal. It's not even gold. It looks like it's fake brass. I don't even know if that's even a metal. But it meant the world to me because I had finished. This was the, this is what it represented, all the training and then showing up on race day and running. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians 9.25. Paul writes, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last for what? Ever. Hallelujah. Paul's point is that everyone who runs this race should run to get the prize, which is eternal life with Jesus. As great as it was to have someone place a medal around my neck, that moment was fleeting. It was right there at the finish line of the marathon. But this heavenly reward, it beats anything you'll receive in this life without question. So don't cheat the training. When it comes to running this race, keep your eyes focused on Jesus and keep running. Don't quit. Whatever the case, keep running because the reward at the finish line is worth it. And here's the great thing. You have a chance to run this with other people and you know what? You can help them get over that finish line as well. There's nothing greater than that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. I thank you, God that you help us to run our best race. Help us to throw off the things that keep us from running well and help us to put on the things that'll equip us to run the best we can. Lord, I pray that we'll always keep our eyes on Jesus, the best example of running that there is. Lord, I pray for anyone who's not in the race yet. They've never said yes to Jesus. I pray today would be the day they say, hey, sign me up for the marathon. I don't know that I can do it, but I'm gonna give it a try. And I promise you that with God's help, you can do anything that he calls you to. Lord, help us all to take running this race more seriously so that we can run our very best race. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.